0: so i lied about something and you know john that i am kind of a terrible liar but this one was more anxiety driven than anything else what so, happened so um we have a super smash at work where um before your shift you can play on a television and it's like people from all over the property can you know play smash or whatever and so i was playing not yesterday but the day before um uh, i was watching these two guys play and I was just like, man, I really want to jump in. And for the record, my experience with Super Smash was I played the original and I'm really good at the original, but my skill kind of goes down from there. Yeah. Um, But like I can still hold my own in the new iterations. Like since they, you know, they did these things called balances and patches. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm all in on Samus and Kirby. I'm really deadly with them in the original. But besides that, I'm just, you know trying to fight to the top
1: <clears throat> so smashing chic for life
0: Nah, like i still know <laughs> s- certain strat yeah chic Jeez. um <clears throat> but the my issue becomes where i'm um uh, they asked me like I-, I was looking at the mode they were playing i wasn't used to in the mode they were playing where you build up your smash over time right, mm-hmm. rather than be- being an item and i own the most recent version 2 of smash and they're playing it and they i was like you can build up smashes in this game and they're like oh yeah yeah it's real fun like this game is this game is good and i'm just like oh okay and i don't know what it triggered in my mind but i was like yeah i've only played up until like i think brawl brawl is the game i've played up into i haven't played any of this new one uh i'm more of like a huge melee and original player i didn't really dabble too much and stuff so i'm just lying out of my teeth and it's just like yeah let's play a game blah blah and i take this guy to school man I feel I destroyed him with Ike and I was just like oh cool like he he, and he I got him with a final smash that built over time like he jumped from he was on the ledge and his buddy's watching him too and I just creamed him he's like what and they're freaking out he's like no man you know how to play this game I was like "I, I I guess I'm not I'm not as bad as I thought it was going to be like I'm trying to like be like oh man like Calm down, like I really don't like this at all. But I (laughs) I didn't think I thought they were really good watching them, but then I I kinda beat this kid pretty bad. So it fast forwards then to yes uh actually today I got there um a little early and was playing and there's this kid who's also there and the other guy sees me who I beat, he's like, Oh man, that's the kid that's the guy who beat me. He's so good at this, and I'm just like, oh no and uh the kid who's next to me who was also looking at is like oh man we'll play this will be fun i don't have a lot of challenges and i i i no joke like you know this is a community switch at work uh-huh and in his jacket he whips out the uh a gamecube controller made for switch oh you know he's serious then uh yeah i was just waiting for him to whip out like the like the the gloves and like the gaming gloves or like something from like a gym or something just put them on his hands it's just like i'm ready to get destroyed and he did beat me on the first map but then all three of us with the other guy played and i did win but i was kind of like oh man like i'm gonna get totally found out as a fraud (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was just like man i I," at the end of it i was just like man i really want to pick up this game and play more of it i might and then just in my head i'm just like
1: smooth smooth i think i think this point in your life is when the training montage begins and and you slowly work up to beating
0: a child oh no whoa training montage to beat up a child Jeez! in the game not in real life man oh man i thought you meant in real life i was like <laughs> man i gotta have to watch a lot of adrian peterson stuff oh i know oh welcome to the Soto podcast This is where we talk about movies, shows, games, and whatever the heck we want. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and YouTube. I am joined by my good friend John, and I'm Chris, and we are your co-hosts for the day. John,
1: how are you doing? Probably better than you were after you got beat by that kid at work.
0: You know what I? You know, in the in the one on one, I lost, but in the in the uh, free for all three way, I, I held out on top. Oh. the okay no never mind not going there continue please oh i see oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, no that's yes fine. i do want to be on top there's no there's no such thing as a power bottom anyways going on with our stories we have oh no <laughs> oh man that's gonna that's gonna pivot real hard and pivot well speaking of pivoting uh so we have two stories for you and it's actually kind of a serious day despite the whimsical cold opening for me um so they're a little serious, and it's pretty interesting. Um, what's going on in our um, in the uh, media industry? Uh, but well, first thing we wanted to talk about with you was the Amazon Hunter series that caught some flack for uh a chess game scene uh, from its series. And so uh, this made international news, by the way. This wasn't one oh, like, wow. oh, it's on Cinema Blender Collider. No, this was a like front page of the BBC. And so that's how I caught wind of it. I was like, "Oh, I read, looked more into it." And so, Amazon has a series called Hunters, and uh, the Auschwitz Memorial, uh, an organization and charity that runs the former camp, you know, as a historical site. They mm-hmm. condemned the series for a scene where inmates of the camp are are forced to play a game of chess, and they have to kill each other in the game. When you know, like, oh, I guess like when a pawn takes a pawn, or a pawn takes a rook, king, rook, whatever um whenever they take a piece they got to kill each other and so yeah it caught a lot of media attention karen Pollock, uh who's a chief executive of the holocaust educational trust warns that it the portrayals like this will continue to fuel like holocaust denials so because i know in in europe it's a really like joking about nazis um there's a fine line because they really don't want people to become nazis like uh there's like no- us like americans no actually uh well i mean not in the same degree like uh, yeah like yeah. so yes americans don't want people to be nazis but the degree in europe is like heightened to 10 which is why uh you know that that far-right shooting that happened is pretty big but um a little background on Hunters, if you don't know. Uh, it's a 10-part drama series about Nazi hunters in the United States. And it takes place in the 70s. And uh, one of the big stars in it is Al Pacino. And uh, the show says in it, it's inspired by true events. Not claiming to be a documentary or entirely historical, historically accurate. Uh, and even the showrunner, David Weil, uh, he responds to the criticisms as being a grandson of a Holocaust survivor. So uh the criticism that's come out from dasher's memorial and other organizers you know the showrunner kind of had a response and i'm going to read it and then i'll ask you a question john um after the response because i think it's a very interesting place where we are when we ask questions about history and embellishing it at any point so let me get into the his response Years ago, I visited Auschwitz and I saw the gates my grandmother was forced to enter decades earlier and the barracks she was forced to live in as a prisoner. I saw vestiges of the nightmarish world she had survived. It was an experience that forever altered the course of my life. It was the moment consecrated in time and memory that I sought to make good on doing my part, however big or however small, to ensure the promise of never again. I believe then, as I do now, that I had a responsibility as the grandson of the Holocaust survivors to keep their stories alive. While Huntress is a dramatic narrative series with largely fictional characters, it is inspired by true events. It is not a documentary, and it was never purported to be. In creating the series is the most important for me to consider that I believe to be the ultimate question and challenge of telling a story about the Holocaust. How do I do so without borrowing from a real person's specific life or experience it was for that reason i made the decision that all the concentration camp prisoners and survivors in this series would be given tattoos above number above the number 202 499 202 499 is the highest recorded number given to a prisoner at auschwitz i didn't want one of our characters to have the number of a real victim or a real survivor as i did not want to misrepresent a real person or borrow them from a specific moment in an actual person's life. That was the responsibility that weighed on me every night and every morning for years while writing, producing, editing this show. It is the thing I go to sleep thinking about and the thing I wake up working to honor. And speaking to the chess match scene specifically, this is a fictionalized event. Why did I feel this event was so important to the script and place in series? to most powerfully uh, counteract the revisionist narrative that whitewashing Nazi perpetrations by showcasing the most extreme and representationally truthful sadism and violence that the Nazis perpetuated against the Jews and other victims. And why did I feel the need to create a, a fictional event where there were so many real horrors that existed? After all, it, it is true that the Nazis perpetuated widespread and extreme acts of sadism and torture, and even incidents of cruel games against their victims. I simply did not want to depict these, those specific events, real acts of trauma. If the larger philosophical question is, can we ever tell stories about the Holocaust that are not documentary, I believe we can, and we should. Hunters is like a myriad of acclaimed films on the subject does not always adhere to literal truth in its pursuit of capturing the representational truth of the Holocaust. My decision to fictionalize was made in awareness of this debate, and this show takes the point of view that symbolic representations provide individuals access to an emotional and symbolic reality that allows us to better understand the experiences of of the show and provide it with meaning that can address our urgent presence. I'm forever grateful to the Auschwitz Memorial for all the important and vital work they do for keeping the memory of victims and survivors like my grandmother, Sarah Weil, alive. I believe we are very much on the same side, working toward the same goal. And I hope we can continue a dialogue on how to achieve these goals. That's the end of his statement, uh, that David made. And it brings me to my question, uh, should media depictions of true events cross a line into embellishing a story with given context or follow a concrete perspective and a factual storyline? So I I think, first of all,
1: I think he's definitely coming from a very real and emotional place with the portrayal of, uh, or the depiction of what he wants to tell in the show. So obviously he is knowledgeable. He has personal experience with this type of material. So it's really it's real to him and it it means a lot it's a passion project obviously um and i i think that with with something like the holocaust and with it being so close to uh people's lives and and recent experiences today i think it's it's just one of those things it's probably one of the most touchy subjects in in history i think to try and depict Um, because i mean you think about uh, the biggest examples that uh, have kind of gotten well-known over the years. And, and they're pretty straightforward, beat-for-beat beat, um, examples of exactly what happened to the best of uh, the uh, storyteller's ability. Um, so to take any kind of creative liberties like this, I think inherently creates an opportunity to... Um, it allows for some people to feel like you're betraying what's, what their relatives actually went through. By telling a, an altered version of it. Um, now obviously he int- his intention was to not basically um, to keep his story separate from what actually happened. And I think that he wanted people to come in with enough knowledge of the Holocaust to, to be able to say this is not real. This is not what actually happened. But it was things like this that did happen. And I'm not, with, he didn't want to water down the experience of what actually happened. Which I, I respect and understand. Um, I, I, I think, honestly, no matter what he had chosen to do with with the show, it was going to be met with some kind of criticism. Um, I, it just inherently with this type of story that it's a very natural progression of somebody's somebody's going to feel alienated to some degree of someone else's experience with something this horrible. Um, and, and what's interesting to me is that, obviously... So many different news outlets have come out with this type of um, reaction to it, and so many people have come out against that scene in the show. Um, but then you, you look at other examples uh, in recent uh, memory where the Watchmen series retold the story of the Tulsa... Um, oh, shoot, what was it called? Um, basically, that, that mass execution in Tulsa uh, back in the early 1900s uh, that was committed as, as a hate crime against black people in that community. Uh, Tulsa Massacre, that, that's what it's called. Um, and so because of the, that show's portrayal of that h- horribly, horribly h- horrific event in our nation's history, it's pursued, or it's had people pursue um, what's actually gone on with that event. And because of it, um, schools in Oklahoma are pushing for that, uh, that historical event to be included in more textbooks and uh to be really i mean to really make that event more known than i think it has been in recent times so on one hand you have this event of the the holocaust and uh their fictional portrayal of things that happened in in that event and you have another example from another show where because of their portrayal of it which included fictional characters that led to the creation of superheroes in that universe um Hmm. Because of that portrayal, uh, people are yearning to learn more about it and to make it more relevant in today's culture. Um, so really, it I think it's hit or miss. I think it depends on the, the audience there. And I think it really depends on where your audience is at culturally and um, intellectually, I think, to a degree. Where with 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 the Holocaust, I think too many people have such an emotional and visceral connection to what happened. Um, I think I think honestly, I think it's in a lot of people's best interest just to kind of play it safe and to go more beat for beat of what actually happened, because it it there are already so many horrible things that did happen in it that I think for some people to to think that you should embellish it even more. Is disrespectful to the experiences of the people that went through it. Hmm. Um, but again, I it's just it's hit or miss, honestly. And I, I think I think he made an informed decision when he made that show. Um, I don't think he went into it lightly. But I I think it's going to be controversial no matter what. And I think it sparks a good a good debate to have in today's
0: kind of culture. I definitely think. You hit on something about culture. Um, and it's just basically from history trying to learn from itself. Like you brought the Tulsa uh, in the 1900s and how they want to put it in books now to make sure, you know, people don't deny that it happened. You know, sometimes it's one of those things where, like, a community that is affected by it knows about it, but other communities are like, that didn't happen. But I, I do agree with you that David made an informed decision when he made this decision like he knew full well what he was doing when he put the scene in there uh i do also believe um in one thing yes it's inspired by true events but doesn't mean it's a true event and to that degree if you put that in your show i'm sorry like i believe it is a show and that's the line that i ride is that it's not true when i watched um uh first class with the X-Men, which I love that movie, and it shows Michael Fassbender as a kid um, and he bends those bars at the uh at the concentration camp. Oh my gosh, it's such a powerful scene, but that didn't yeah. happen you know we're watching we're right now we're watching a mo- well you're watching a show, a drama series about Nazi hunters in the 1970s it's a show. It's the same thing as if I'm I like if I'm watching, it's inspired by True Fence. It's kind of I think of it kind of not to say that you know the Holocaust shouldn't be taken serious, but you know there are things that should be taken with a grain of salt uh, when it comes to these. And it it seems that David, uh, making this show had a strict vision and even has a great response. I didn't want to depict the actual games that were played in a concentration camp as to as to bring up that trauma again for any survivors who have seen this or anybody who's heard those stories, which I think is a very powerful statement. Um, so I, I kind of, I kind of side on the show on the, sh- in the show's corner for this one. Um, but I, I do see what your point about, um, you know, playing it safe with this specific event because the Holocaust, there are people who deny it. And that is insane to, to me it's it's, i imagine it's insane to you yeah Uh, Uh, it's just I, i get i get what the auschwitz memorial did with its statement uh and what they're trying to stop like the foolishness and the caricature of it all and that what can happen with people you know, saying like, look, they made this show where they use people as human chess pieces. Like, isn't that so, it's so untrue. They're going to be like, it's the media, it's Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be people like that. But I, I kind of believe those people or exist in the world with everything. You know, I love the NFL and all the time in the corner. I hear like a group would be like, they shouldn't be paid that much, blah, blah, blah. They just play a sport, you know it's just like the gladiator rings in rome you know and some who won their freedom went back to the to the dome although that didn't happen a lot it's super rare but they were famous like the popularity and people love it what i don't i don't know what to say you know it's just it is what it is people die in soccer stadiums across the world you get mad at the nfl player for getting paid this amount the soccer players get paid like way more millions or whatever i just you know there's an, there's an extreme argument to everything and i just i don't know i like to take it with the grain of salt yeah and so
1: i the other the other side of it and this kind of ties in with uh the next question we have uh, here, is is do movies like bohemian rhapsody in 1917 also deserve criticism for providing uh fictitious names dialogues and uh and uh, fictitious events And what I think that what I think what people have to realize is that in the end, at the end of the day, shows, movie, uh, movies, songs, all of it are works of art and art is meant to be subjective and art is meant to be emotional and to uh, bring out different emotions within you. So from his perspective, from David's perspective, he was trying to create an emotional reaction based on uh, the Holocaust and he wanted to. He wanted his audience to really feel the, the the horrific nature of those events. So by altering and creating new events uh, based in that uh, environment, he did that. And I mean, I've seen, I've read uh, reports and interviews of of these writers that had to stop a couple episodes in, or like half a half an episode in, because they just couldn't emotionally take it anymore. And so I think to that degree, he achieved his goal. He created a, a fictitious work that created this emotional response from people. Um, and I think he, he like I said, he achieved the emotional response that he wanted to. Um, so I think what's different about this is that it, it just strikes a chord with so many more people where, I mean, it's the same thing with Bohemian Rhapsody 1917. Um, they both were based off of true, true events and true people. But they also created this emotional response from people. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was meant to be more of a lighthearted uh, and definitely more uh, taken to an extreme, more, more, much more extreme uh, version of Queens, uh, Queen as a band, their life. And 1917 was meant to be that World War I depiction. And I think with the one-shot style and with the more visceral elements of, of that compared to other world world war one and two movies i think it also uh evicted uh, this emotional response from people so all of these all of these forms of media are achieving their goal and i think that's just something that we as consumers have to also bear in mind and that's on us that's not on the creators of this of these shows and movies because their their job is just to put their ideas out there Um, it's up to us to watch it responsibly and to know what's real and what's not, and if it's not for you, don't watch it. If you know the the Holocaust is already a touchy subject for you, this is probably not your show, and you don't have you don't have to consume this. But if you want to put yourself in a place where you are, you open yourself up to these types of emotions that could come out of it, then by all means, dive in, see what this is about, um, like you and I do not like horror movies, so we are not going to put ourselves in the position, if we can help it, (laughs) where we have to put ourselves through those emotional responses. Um, Now, obviously, this type of material needs to be taken seriously, and I think that he did. I think that he handled it as well as he could have and with as much care as he could have. Um, But we we need to, as an audience, be responsible viewers and to know and be wise enough to know what is what the intentions were behind the creation of uh this media
0: yeah i i think you bring up a lot of um things of that as far as like being informed and you know just you know if you're gonna go see something knowing more about it um and like just like with 1917 the thing that gets me with it is that at the end when sam mendez brings these are based on the stories that You know, grandfather, whatever his name is, Mendez told us about the war, and I'm just like, that's awesome. You know, it goes back to that, just saying like, hey, disclaimer, this is, you know, these are inspired, these are inspired by true events, and that you know, was there a battle that they're talking about where you know based on what they did they're like they never said the battle's name in 1917 but people believe it to be based off a certain time during when it was but it's in a different area so there are many liberties taken along with it especially with bohemian rhapsody like bands uh members of the band said certain things didn't go down with the making of music where they're like they're always bickering and yelling at each other and you know uh i think his name is brian may came out brian may came out and said like some a lot of the scenes like the making of the band and all that stuff it's kind of the kind of like it's crap you know um but you know at the same time i i i do think you know being an informed audience is also important that when you go see a movie you know you have you have google on your phone you know while you're walking out and you're like man i can't believe i saw that movie let me look up some stuff because that's what i did after i saw 1917 i looked up some stuff and i was like oh okay cool so it's not actually based off it's not actually a real event it's just based off an event that had happened and you know sam mendez put it into a story format that that worked and you were more focused on the art rather than the factual stuff that was going on um so i i do i i I don't think these movies, these shows deserve this criticism. I think, I think like it makes sense to criticize, but like then for the showrunner to give his response, which I thought was an elegant response, that's the end of that. Like put your hands together and be like, okay, cool. This, this thing is done. But um, obviously, you know, people might take it to a different extreme and that's the unfortunate thing about it.
1: Yeah, and I think we as a society have just kind of, we've forgotten how to disagree with people while also respecting their opinions. Yes. And we, we, can, we may disagree with the, um, the approach that he took and the depiction of these events, but we can still respect his, his passion for it and his um, understanding and care that went into portraying those events. So again, I, he's, he did what he set out to do, and I respect that and I, I, I honestly I think I'm going to check the show out just to kind of see what it's about in general and maybe this is like a one off scene and the rest of it isn't that horrific but um, I mean at least it, it at least gets us talking about these types of conversations.
0: It's true it does get the conversation started just like I respect that he you know you talk about respecting his decision to do that and I agree I can't imagine what stories the nazis did in their games that is somehow worse than this chess game or somewhere yeah. on par and i think it's very smart for him to say i didn't want to activate that trauma in a very unique in a, in a unique way in people who might be survivors so um i do appreciate that in his informed decision but speaking of well i shouldn't compare the two um <laughs> story number two <laughs> Story number two. I'm not going to You know what? They're not comparable. This is just this. This breaks my heart. That's what I'll say. So Bob Iger, effective immediately has stepped down as Disney's
1: CEO. Uh, this happened back on Tuesday of this week, which when we edit this and put it out, time won't matter anyways. So uh, relatively recently, Bob Iger has stepped down. Um Uh, Bob Chapek. Chapek? I'm not sure how to say his last name. Chapek. Chapek. I I think
0: that's the way we'll say it from now on. (laughs) Chapek.
1: Bob Chapek. Chapek. We'll we'll take over. He was the chairman of Disney Parks, experiences and products, business. Um, He's definitely got more of a business angle to everything and from his experience and much less of a creative uh, side to everything. Um, But... Bob Iger is going to stay on as a executive chairman until the end of his contract at the end of 2021. And he has no intention of staying with with Disney after that. Um, he came out an interview oh. the next day and just straight up said, I didn't want to run the company anymore. Um, what he is going to do is stay on to focus more on the creative projects that he's kind of gotten the momentum going on um like he wants to work on espn uh the fox studios uh products and and uh productions they already have in place and hulu and disney plus um, which he says that he really couldn't do by having to run the company and focus more on the day-to-day operations um so he obviously has kind of changed the the way i think movie studios put out content um, the way businesses interact with the media as a whole now. Um, and I, I think it's very wise of him to say, we've kind of come to a natural breathing point uh, with Disney and with this brand, with the Fox merger just uh, coming out and being complete, with Disney Plus kind of uh, settling down a bit. Uh, they just bought out a bunch of stakes in Hulu, so they're the majority stakeholder. Um, kind of a lot of their big productions have kind of come to a natural pause and so for him to step down and let somebody else take up the mantle I think allows them to kind of pick it up at a natural progression where they're not jumping in the middle of a project and have to just kind of scramble to find their footing Um, I think it's going to allow Bob to really make the the future of Disney his own. In a in a real way, I I think this is probably the best time to do it. And I know he's wanted to retire for years now, um, but the board and other projects have kind of pressured him into staying. So I wanted to just take a second, and I did some googling, and I just wanted to talk about like some major career highlights of his from the start to the end of his run with Disney. Um, which well, I- these are
0: some amazing highlights.
1: Yeah, and and just really showcases what he was able to do in a, I mean, relatively short period of time. Um, so in 1974, he joins ABC as a former weatherman of all things. Uh, he wanted to go on to be a news anchor and to be kind of like that face of media. So he's always he's always had an interest in that. Um, but at ABC, he went on. Uh, To where he started just cleaning up sets and doing very menial labor uh, for basically almost minimum wage to becoming this executive that developed shows like Home Improvement, the Drew Carey show, America's Funniest Home Videos, and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which are just staples of my childhood and things that I grew up on. Uh,
0: Yeah. You you think about these shows that you just mentioned, like... With Bob Iger being on there to develop the shows, that's huge because um, for Bob Iger, like he gets to interact with an audience that doesn't just span like the South, the North, the East, the West. He's doing all of that Midwest, wherever you're from. Like, you know, they're at the time when these shows are coming out. No one said like, "Oh, I hate uh, the Drew Carey Show" or "I hate America's Funniest Home Videos." Like people loved this stuff even who wants to be a millionaire where i didn't watch it all the freaking time but i knew about it and i liked the show you know yeah like nobody nobody hated these shows people knew about it and i mean that just brings to how keen he was on making disney much bigger yeah absolutely so again so he started abc in
1: 1974 and then they were eventually bought out by disney and he was pushed into more uh, leadership roles and up in, uh, into upper management. And in 1999, Disney appoints him as president of Walt Disney International. Um, the next year, in 2000, he becomes the president and COO of Disney. Uh, and then five years later, in 2005, he is appointed as CEO, where this is just the beginning of, of his trajectory here. So 2006, uh, Disney acquires Pixar, for $7.5 billion uh, Which really I think kind of set the stage For them Putting the emphasis on animation And really becoming a staple And putting out uh, things I mean obviously down the road they put out Frozen, they have put out Brave uh, Moana, all of these Household names now It started there And really led to this regener- or rejuvenation Of uh, like modern anim- animation um, 2009 he led the negotiations to buy Marvel Entertainment for $4 billion which it made it back at the box office in five years which is almost an immediate payout from that purchase uh, which that obviously sparked the MCU which like changed cinematic universes forever. Um, In 2012 he purchased or Disney purchases uh, Lucasfilm for $4 billion and the first movie that they put out The Force Awakens, makes $2 billion worldwide in 2015. So he already made back half his investment just at the box office three years later. Um, In 2018, he wanted to step down as CEO, and he was considering a presidential run. Um, And people were talking about this uh, back at the time where he was really talking about being a serious candidate, if not necessarily a running mate um but with
0: he could still do it he he, could still do it he could he's got the time. someone not for i don't think for president but someone could be like yo bob Iger, vp
1: i mean i kind of could see if michael bloomberg gets the nomination somehow i i kind of think that (laughs) maybe two old white guys
0: (laughs) yes two old white billionaires Um, i mean i don't think he's a billionaire but i you know what whatever politics and we don't really talk a lot of politics on the show i think that's a very interesting match to have bloomberg and bob eiger um i don't know what that do but i think you're right that that would be something that would be the most likely if you needed a running mate
1: yeah it would it's interesting to think about if nothing else um but to kind of put that presidential run on hold uh that's when the fox merger really started developing and in 2019 disney finalizes the deal to purchase a bunch of these fox assets which include getting all those characters back in the mcu um it includes them getting espn a lot of these things that uh Iger is now going to be working on for the next year um and also at the end of 2019 disney plus launches and in less than three months, they get uh, reportedly 29 million paid subscribers, which is obviously a huge deal. They still um, have my money. <laughs> not mine. They'll get mine back when uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier start.
0: Wow. You don't want to watch Clone Wars? I will watch
1: it all at once because mm. I don't want to pay $6 a month for one episode a week of a sh- of
0: one show that when it's done, I'm going to stop watching it. Dude, I'm telling you, I tried that and the first the first third of the Clone Wars? Wait, are we talking about you've have you seen the whole series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would just be watching the latest season. Oh my god. good thank God. I was thinking like, does John need to rewatch the whole thing? He's gonna torture himself. <laughs> no.
1: Um so twenty nineteen was obviously a big year for Disney, and uh the top five at the box office were all Disney owned films that year. Uh and Disney also put out seven total films that grossed over a billion dollars that year alone. So they they have become this juggernaut in media, and it's basically all thanks to Bob Iger as CEO for the direction and the vision that he set out from the start of his tenure as CEO. Um, so just kind of like looking back and having this retrospective of his whole career, what do you think Iger's biggest legacy is going to be as the D- Disney CEO
0: as the Disney CEO, what it means for the brand going forward, I think the I think the per, I think the purchase of Fox as far as a as far as Disney as a company, I think that's the biggest staple for Bob Iger. Um, but as far as, you know, what the fans the of Disney, the just the people who don't work for the company just see it as such, like this giant media park entertainment conglomerate i think for those people it's a different choice and i'll tell you i think it is the marvel studio stuff mm-hmm. um so as a company i believe it's the the fox thing which is huge to buy the fox property they did they got simpsons they got Hulu Hulu uh, majority stock like what they got was an amazing deal it's now they didn't get fox news and uh sports that goes to the murdochs which you know it is what it is but to get fx and all the uh, movie properties that they have now in their arsenal is huge you know and you, you, that stat you brought up about how much disney movies have made you know as the highest grossing movies is amazing like i i think i think that cements your legacy for the future that's like that's like someone buying 20 percent. I'm, I'm putting out a number there but imagine buying like 10 to fit 10 to 20 percent of a market and it's the movie market with you know the fox century uh fox spotlight uh spot Uh, searchlight uh, searchlight that's what it is so the fox searchlight fx fxm or fxx you know all these things that you did it's a huge it's a huge gobble up and you know i think i remember when we first heard about this i was like wow that's huge you know even though star wars is near and dear to my heart as a company like for them internally that's like the money making was fox um even though marvel made more money for them in merchandise and all that stuff i think that's a a really quick build-up you know with the deal they did with over 10 years they were able to get to to this point where we get one of the greatest media team-ups in uh endgame and infinity war but you know there's only so much the marvel universe could grow within its context and potential you know you're gonna have a saga and all this stuff blah blah, blah. you'll still get merchandise but with fox the fox acquisition and those properties it's it's it, it, it's bigger i have to admit i think i think it's bigger
1: yeah i mean this may just be the marvel nerd to me but i i think at least the biggest part of his legacy to me is going to be what he was able to do with with initiating and then perpetuating the mcu and obviously kevin feige is the one behind the creative aspect of it all but Iger basically just teed him up to be able to uh score at oh, the horrible
0: sports analogy i'm sorry wow that was score no that's a great no he did score <laughs> okay well i phrased it poorly what score <laughs> what what sports analogy are you thinking a scoring as bad I- are you think are you thinking of the other score i think no. you're thinking of the other score
1: no, I was trying to trying to make it Bob make, make Iger scored sound. with
0: Kevin Feige. That's what you're saying. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, no, that's not that's not true. But to that point, and I'm just going to quickly say my two piece and let you continue. Um, that's why I'm not giving Marvel to Bob Iger being the biggest thing for the company is because Kevin Feige, even though he was teed up and supported to do it by Bob Iger, I think that's more of Kevin Feige's baby and legacy. Yeah. And I mean,
1: yeah, it's really just going to come down to perspective. And um, I, I think for him to, to provide Disney with all these acquisitions and to have the foresight to know that Pixar alone is not going to support Disney forever, Animation's not going to do it. So you need to branch out into another uh, type of industry. And so we need to buy Marvel. And the MCU can only run for so long before it's going to get stale. So we need to inject it with with new things. We need to go after Lucasfilm. We need to go after Fox. So yes, they are becoming an, a monopoly. But I'm very <laughs> happy with this monopoly. I agree. So as, as long as they pu- pump out content that I like, I'm not going to question it. Um, yeah, I, he's. I mean, obviously, anybody could sit, list any one of his achievements and list that as his biggest legacy. He, I don't think is going to have, um, a, like a contender, uh, for the amount of achievements that he was able to, uh, accomplish from his tenure. I don't think that he will have an equal for a long time. Um, mostly because Disney already owns half the market. So there's only so much they can buy now. Um, but I mean, do you think that Bob Chapek is Chapek? uh, do you think that he can continue this momentum? Do you think that maybe it's going to going to decline with his new style of leadership? Because um, I think one of the, the biggest things I've read about him recently is that he's the one that was responsible for the Disney Vault. Um, like I love it, he's the one that did it. And then he is also the one that, um, excuse me, he's, he's the one that was behind a lot of the changes that happened with um, the Star Wars uh, aspect of, of disneyland and um oh my gosh galaxy's he's, edge he's That's also
0: a, he's also the one who raised prices for uh that yearly pass that certain disney those disney folk have yeah um which i'll get to in my response
1: yeah so he has much more of a business mindset behind everything and much more of a, like we need to the bottom dollar is the most important thing um so i'm wondering if you think that because obviously I think with this type of brand, you need to have some kind of creative input behind the choices that are made. So do you think that he's going to be able to rise to the occasion? Um, or do you think maybe this is just a new direction they're going to go in?
0: Uh, I am going to take more of the pessimistic route on this one because it, it reminds me of Michael Eisner a little bit, um, where Walt and I believe Bob Iger are more of like, You know, we're thinking about the American people coming to enjoy our product, Uh, you know, setting up experiences for people to have. I believe that this Bob Chapek is more of the business savvy person who comes up and cleans up an operation. Uh, And I, I don't I don't see him as being the type of person to really excite the disney corporate or shareholders i see him as like oh we're gonna do things to make more money that might be good for shareholders but as far as like people who are fans you know i've heard it from people who are florida residents who had their annual pass stuff the increase in price and they're like oh my gosh blah blah blah. it's because there's so much traffic at these parks disney's is so popular that they want to increase people to dissuade people to come over during peak season then to me that's insane like disney's that popular which is a good thing and you know this guy is raising the prices but i'm curious as to what walt or someone like you know you know bob Iger is no longer is no longer in charge and he was in charge when these things happened but i'm wondering how much input he had to say like yes we're going to do that um it's just it it comes to me as like the moves that bob has made are are some that incite a little bit of like anger from disney lovers and these are moves that make sense oh it's so busy it's so crowded we have to raise the prices to dissuade people from coming here people get angry it makes sense i'm i'm not saying i'm not saying it doesn't make sense i'm just saying i'm pessimistic in the outlook of where disney lands on the eyes of fans uh you know what like with michael eisner when people saying he was a bad ceo and him focusing on the opening of smaller international parks rather than focusing on building up the already established parks and expanding the brand in that way kind of like what bob Iger did in the opposite sense uh I'd feel like we're going to go back to those days. And I'm curious to see what that looks like, especially when you acquire something as big as Fox. Like I hope Mr. uh, Mr. Topek can really forward think on this because the track record of what he's done before is really good business moves, but I don't think they're forward thinking if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree. I, I,
1: I think I think Bob Iger has placed enough well-established creative people in place to where, well, besides Kathleen Kennedy, um, yeah. where like the MCU is going to be fine on its own. And as long as Kevin Feige's at the helm, I, I think that, uh, this new CEO is going to kind of steer clear and just kind of let them do their thing because they're making a ton of money. And as long as they're doing that, they're in good shape. Um, and I think if Bob Iger's kind of taking more of a creative, uh, Handle on this Fox uh, completion of the merger and and with uh, with these other projects with Disney Plus with Hulu, um, as long as he gets the ball rolling in the right direction and it's and it's profitable, um, I think it'll be left alone and I think his legacy will kind of stay in place and be cemented. It's just I think when when things stop becoming profitable is when this guy's going to step in and try and change it mix a lot of stuff up. Um, So I think in that potential, that has the potential at least to uh, maybe upset a lot of fans. Um, I, I mean, regardless, I think that we have kind of come to the end of the golden era of Disney as a brand. And I think in the next couple of years, just because of the nature of change... We're going to kind of see a shift, whether it be a decline or a progression, but it's going to be a shift into a new direction
0: because of this new CEO. Yeah, and and it'll be cool. It'll be interesting, and I think uh, I think uh, you and I were wondering like what's going to happen to Kathleen Kennedy with this new guy. Is he going to be like nah, get rid of her? I'll be like she's making good, savvy business decisions, so. Because I mean, that's the only thing that's the only thing we care about on this show is whether <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy stays or goes. <laughs> She's gonna go, but yeah. I mean, like, uh, no, never mind. We're not gonna get into no, that. We'll that's we'll gonna... keep that can of worms for a different day. But that's speaking fair. of can of worms, what are you watching?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Such a great segue. It makes no sense. I love it. So I am going to be starting uh, the season two of of Altered Carbon. It uh, just came out on Netflix, I believe, yesterday or today. Um, I saw season one, loved it. We haven't really had this, like, futuristic, cyberpunk kind of, uh, like, technological-based, I don't know, sci-fi flick show, whatever you want to call it. it just, it's very unique. Um, there's a lot of exposition and world-building they did that I'm definitely going to have to refresh myself on. Um but I thought it was a really entertaining show and the whole premise of it is just, it allows them to go for as long as they want where man, have you, do you know anything about the show? I don't. So I do the, not. the premise of altered carbon is that it's, it's in the future and that humankind has figured out a way to digitally replicate the memories and personality and basically the soul of people and to then be, if you, you have enough money to be transferred into another host body um so uh, if you don't and you're, you basically can you can regenerate yourself in the, in that sense but you get assigned a random person so it's it's like situational comedy in that like there's a scene with a family that they finally have their dead grandma back over but she's in the body of this like 400 pound biker and it's just this whole weird dynamic where sh- her, her her mind is in his body and she's acting as herself but in this very large bearded man. Um, so in the f- in the first season, Joel Kinneman was the main character, and uh, in the second season, Anthony Mackie. Yeah, uh, sorry, Anthony, Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie. Yes, has become the main character. So if if this whole like setup continues, you can just change out actors willy nilly and continue the series until until you want to leave it alone. Um, so it, it allows itself to be changed in a very natural way which brings a whole whole new dynamic into it every time you change up actors um which i think is just really it's a very interesting premise if
0: nothing else um give me give me kelso in a uh in a stockbroker's body oh wait (laughs) that already exists oh it's true uh uh kushner kushner is like Oh my god! I forgot his first name. Ashton. Ashton. Dang, Ashton Kutcher. I can't Kutcher. even say his Kutcher. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher is uh, there. We go. Ashton Kutcher is like uh, huge into stocks and business. Oh yeah. Um, it, it's so great. Like his hot ones interview is so awesome. That's oh, what yeah. I thought of when you were like, "Yeah, they just keep on continuing." I'm just like, "Yeah, there." That's what I want. Ashton Kutcher would be a fan of that. Kutcher. I don't know why. Saying his name now just sounds dirty. Kuchar. (laughs) Well, speaking of that, Chris, what are you watching? Uh, You know what? These segues don't make any sense, but let's roll with them. I'm watching season seven of The Clone Wars, and it is uh, released weekly. I saw the first episode uh, Friday. It was really good. Actually, the episode should release tonight, so I might watch that um, context of when this is being uh, recorded. But I'm excited to see um, how the series continues to go because uh, we got the introduction to the Bad Batch. That's not—it's it, you'll you'll understand when you watch it. It's pretty cool. I mean, I've seen the trailer, so I know I know kind of who they are. But sure, okay, <laughs> Mister Reddit. <laughs> but yeah, I I, uh, I enjoy it. it. It feels like Star Wars. Feels like the Clone Wars, and uh, yeah, it has an um. It's lived out. Episode one is very introductory, so I will see how the meat of the season goes from here on out, and that's what I'll probably get more critical. Nice. Well, yeah, we I mean, I think it's definitely has the potential to be another hit, and uh, I hope
1: that it finishes out the Clone Wars series uh, in a very satisfying
0: way. A satisfying way. I was, I was just thinking of, like you know. He, you know, Bob Iger saying like, "Hey, I'm actually staying," and we're like, "Yeah," but no, he's gone. Yeah, no, he's gone, and our dreams are too, and everything is fine, but everything is dead. We lost Bob Iger for Bob Chapek. They're both named Bob, <laughs> but they will be very different. I have a strong feeling they will be very different. Why is that such a, a basic and yet profound observation? <laughs> and we there's gonna be signs in the street that say bring back bob and we're gonna have to ask which bob yeah yeah okay <laughs> just keep fantasizing about that that's fine i'm just i'm pandering is what i'm doing anyways uh thank you everyone for tuning into the summit up podcast we will see you next time bye guys bye